you would take your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to turn to two passages. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 1 and also to Genesis chapter 3. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll begin, and we're going to read this here in a few moments, and then we'll go to Genesis chapter 3. There was a Sunday school that was putting on a Christmas pageant which included the story of the birth of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and there was this one little boy who very much wanted to be Joseph. But when the parts were handed out, he did not get to be Joseph. Instead, he was chosen to be the innkeeper, and he wasn't, pretty, he wasn't too happy about that. He was pretty upset, but he didn't say anything to the director. He just kind of figured, all right, well, let me see if I can work through this. And during the rehearsals, the wheels began to turn, and he started to think about what he might do the night of the performance to get even with the guy who got the part of Joseph. He wanted to get him. And then on the night of the performance, Mary and Joseph came walking across the stage and they knocked on the door of the inn and the innkeeper opened the door and asked them gruffly what they wanted. And Joseph said, we'd like to have a room for the night. And suddenly, this little boy, the innkeeper, threw the door wide open and said, Great! Come on in! I'll give you the best room in the house! Well, a few seconds, uh, Joseph kind of, of course, he kind of took him by surprise, and he didn't know what to do, but he just thought real quickly, and then he looked inside that door, he looked to the left, he looked to the right, and looked at the innkeeper and said, No wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, we're going to the barn. Surprise, right? Surprise. Joseph got surprised. The innkeeper got surprised. We were surprised by the birth of Jesus, amen? All humanity was surprised by that. And sometimes you don't know what to do whenever surprises or disaster takes place. God had created everything. Six days. Everything's created. Everything is perfect. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, God is there in the presence as a perfect relationship. And God says, you know what? You can have anything and everything I've got for everything here. It's all for you. It's all for you. But there's one exception. Just one. You've got thousands of trees to eat from, thousands of kinds of fruit all over the place. But there's one you do not eat of it. It was that tree that was in the midst of the garden. God said, do not eat that tree. Because you eat of the fruit of that tree, the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And we all know the story of the serpent. Satan had entered the serpent, came and enticed Eve and tempted Eve, and Eve took of that fruit that God had forbidden. Eve gave to her husband to take of that fruit that had been forbidden by God. And the Bible says that they, their eyes were open and they both realized they were naked so that they, they sewed uh, fig leaves together to cover themselves. And it wasn't long after that, after they had first experienced the first emotions, true emotions of sin and history, of guilt and shame and fear, that God comes into the garden. He's looking for Adam, and he calls out Adam by name. And Adam and Eve, they hid themselves, of course. And God finds them. Of course, God knew where they were the whole time. But nonetheless, God comes to them and says, Why are you hiding? Why didn't you come to me? And, and Adam explains, listen, we, we ate of the fruit of the tree, we realized we were naked, and we, 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 were just, we were too afraid to come and approach you. And so, in the midst of that time, of course, mankind fell into sin, 
disaster takes place. And God begins to have a conversation with Adam and Eve about what the repercussions of their decision would be. And then he begins to have a, con a conversation with the serpent. They played the blame game, of course, like all of us do, right? Adam says, hey, God, the woman you gave me. So Adam blames God, and he blames the woman. And then the woman does exactly the same thing. She says, hey, God, no, it wasn't me. It was the serpent that you created. So she blames God and blames the serpent, when in reality, they both made the decisions on their own. Disaster struck. Now, it was not a surprise to God, but it would be a surprise to us. Nonetheless, I'm sure that if we were in the garden, we probably would have made the same choice. This was the costliest event in human history. More costly than all of the wars put together, more costly than all the diseases combined, it was more costly than every penny ever spent and every dime of debt that has ever been rung up. This event launched a sequence of events that still affect us today. Sin, death, disease, destruction, murder, theft, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, profaning God's name, blaspheming God's name, as well as others' names. It's fruits of death and destruction and distrust and hatred and hostility, profanity, gossip, crudeness, rudeness, verbal sin, sexual sin. We just keep going on and on and on with the list. Disaster struck. But God wasn't surprised because at this point, God initiated his redemptive plan. It was at this point we know that God initiated his plan of bringing mankind back to himself. You see, the scriptures tells us that before the foundation of the world that God knew all this has taken place. And he said that the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was even crucified before the foundation of the world. God knew what would happen, so it wasn't a surprise to him, but nonetheless, it was disastrous to us. We're going to look at these two passages today, so if you would please stand with me. Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 through 35, and then we're going to go over to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. The title of our message today is simply, The Seed of the Woman. The Seed of the Woman. Read along quietly with me in your copy of God's Word as I read aloud. Verse 26 of Luke 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when he saw him, when, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Notice capital S. And you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus, by the way, means God is salvation. Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign, which tells you he's a king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One 
who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 3. Just read one verse there. Luke 3, 1, 3, 15. Excuse me, Genesis 3, 15. Sin had taken place. God had confronted Adam and Eve, and now God is, has confronted them, and now he's going to confront this serpent. First, let's start verse number 14. So the Lord said, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, capital S. He shall bruise your head, speaking to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. Father, bless this, the reading of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The seed of the woman. I want to talk to you today about the value of Genesis 3.15 its importance in the grand scheme of God's redemptive plan. And I want you to see that the birth of Christ is no ordinary birth and that he is no ordinary baby. This is just not an ordinary season that we celebrate where we remember the birth of Christ. Genesis 3.15, uh, many Bible scholars refer to this as what's known as the proto-evangelium. Proto meaning first, evangelium meaning gospel or the first good news. In other words, Genesis 3.15, we think about the Christmas story, and we think about the good news of Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead. We often go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Scripture, God takes us all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis. The very first book of Scripture takes us to Genesis 3.15 and says, no, it doesn't begin in Mark. It doesn't begin in, uh, in Matthew or Luke or John. It doesn't begin there. It begins... Back, honestly, before the world ever began, before God ever created everything, because the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. But he begins here in Scripture and speaks of it in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. Genesis 3.15 is the first mention of the gospel. It is prophetic. This was written thousands of years before Jesus was ever born. But yet God's plan, his redemptive plan, was in Motion. I want to share with you three very special things about this particular seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. Number one is this. This seed of the woman was an extraordinary seed. An extraordinary seed. He says here to the serpent, and when we speak of the serpent, we're speaking of Satan. Not just a physical snake, but Satan had entered into the serpent, into the snake, and enticed Eve. But God here is speaking, not just to the serpent, but also spiritually to Satan. He says, I will put enmity. Now, underline that word there, enmity. The word enmity, means uh, the, the base word, is enemy. In other words, I will put warfare, I will put blood war between you and the woman's seed. Not the woman, but the seed of the woman. There will be absolute battle. It's going to be a blood feud between your seed and her seed. Well, what is the seed of Satan? Well, the seed of Satan is sin. Sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 that, that we have sinned and that our sin has come from the sin of Adam and Eve. 
Because of Adam's sin, death passed upon all men, and sin has passed upon all men for all have sinned. But this particular seed, even though Satan's seed is sin, the other seed is the seed of the woman, this seed that will be the Messiah, that will be the Christ. Galatians 3.16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed, capital S, were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as one, and to seed who is Christ. In other words, this seed of the woman will be the Messiah. He will be the Christ. This is an extraordinary seed. This is a one-of-a-kind seed. This is a seed that's like no other. You know, we, we, uh, as we look through uh, just our own human history, we see special people, you know, special people and doing special things. When you think about uh, uh, just the, the, like the armed forces of our country, there are certain names that may come, up, come to some of your mind. You may think of people like George Washington. You'll think of people like Abraham Lincoln, some of the, our, our greatest presidents. You may think of, of, of military leaders. You may think of Douglas McCarthy. You may think of uh, George Patton. You may think of these people, maybe Schwarzkopf from the Iraq wars and just different leaders like that. We, you can go to sports, you'll, you'll think of uh, certain leaders there that, that are like, man, these people are just amazing, they're cut above everybody else. You think of the, the Tom Brady's of the world, you think of uh, the Michael Jordan's and the LeBron James's of the world, and you think, and there are these people that are, just last night, you know, they, they uh, crowned uh, the, the new Heisman Trophy winner, Joe Burrow. You know, he's one of a kind for here in 2019, but guess what, in 2020, they'll crown another, and then another, then another, then another. You see, this is what makes Jesus extraordinary. There is no other. He's one of a kind. There is no other who can come and save. He's it. Amen? There is no other way under heaven whereby man must be saved. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. I am the life, not a life. No man comes to the Father but by who? Me. No way does anyone go to heaven without Jesus. This was an extraordinary seed in three ways. Number one, fortunately, it was not the seed of a man. <laughs> Boy, aren't we glad about that. I mentioned the verse to you er earlier. For as by one man, sin entered into the world. That would be Adam. And death by sin. So that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, I, I've kind of done some research here, and I don't know if you figure this out yet or not, but I don't think there's been anybody else in human history that's been born of a virgin. They've all had human help, amen? Man and a woman have a child together. In this instance, with Mary, that did not happen. It was God, Amen? And the reason for that is this. If it had been Joseph and Mary, remember Mary said, I've not known a man. I haven't been physically with a man. Joseph and I were technically married, but we haven't been together yet. We have not consummated that marriage. There's no way I'm pregnant. And then God says, oh no. The angel says, oh no, this is, this is of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will overshadow you. This is a God thing. This is an extraordinary birth. And it has to happen that way because if Joseph had been involved, then the sin line would have been passed on to the child. Because sin has come upon all men, for that all have sinned. And we know that Jesus was sinless. So fortunately, the man was not involved, amen? Fortunately, you know, you look through the Gospels, especially in Matthew, and you, you look in uh, Luke chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 1, you will find that these all, all these different men and these fathers and their sons were born. You'll, you'll see the genealogies. 
And Jesus is the son of Joseph, all the way to Seth, the son of Adam, and Adam, the son of God. It's all men. It's all the, the fathers and the husbands. In Matthew 1, Jesus, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob, all the way down to Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus, who was called the Christ, throughout. But in this instance, it's not a man. It's the woman, the seed of the woman that God has overshadowed. God has empowered. God has done something extraordinary. It's definitely the seed of a specific woman. I mentioned to you earlier, Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Isaiah 7, 14, we all know it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which, by the way, means God with us. Isn't it great how Scripture just ties together? It's so beautiful. It was definitely the seed of a woman. That was the reason I wanted us to read Luke 1, 26 to 35. It was definitely Mary. There's no doubt there. Luke makes it perfectly clear in his gospel. But thirdly, supernaturally equipped seed to defeat Satan. It wasn't just uh, that it was extraordinary, and, and although it was, but it was a supernatural seed. Why? Because he's going to defeat Satan, as we see in this verse here. I will put enmity between you and the woman, your seed and her seed, and we find later that he will bruise your head. Satan, Ephesians 2, 2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. If Satan is the prince of the power of all the air, everything that's out there, there's got to be somebody pretty awesome to, to defeat Satan, amen? Somebody's got to be much more powerful than Satan to take Satan down. I'm so encouraged whenever I see in Scripture the various uh, instances when Jesus was alive and on this earth and he would, he would uh, approach or he would engage someone who was demon-possessed. What did the demons do right away? What are you doing here, Jesus, thou son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? In other words, what they're saying is, do not send us to hell yet. It's not time yet. Have you come to destroy us? Please have mercy on us. And Jesus knew what time it was. He knew it wasn't time to, to do exactly that. And he cast out the demons, and they went into pigs and other creatures and went wherever else they went. But they knew. Why? Because Jesus is supernatural. This is a, an extraordinary, supernaturally powered seed the Son of God, that's spoken of at creation and at the fall. There's only one way to heaven, church, and it's through this extraordinary seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an extraordinary seed. Number two, it's a triumphant seed, a triumphant seed. If you look back at that verse again, I will put warfare, I will put battle, I will put a blood feud between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head. This seed of the woman, serpent, Satan, will bruise your head. The Hebrew word there can be translated, some of your translations will say not just the word bruise, but it'll just say the word crush. That's what it means. The word there is not just a, well, he's going to, you know, it's a violent word. It's a word that is just, you know, when you think about something that the, some living creature, or maybe you've hit a creature with your, your vehicle or something like that, and you didn't intentionally do it, but you, you, know, you, you know what happens, you know? When someone's head is crushed, what happens? 
it's over. It's over, right? You agree with me on that? It's, it's, it's done for. And that's what God is saying here. God's telling the serpent that my seed, this seed of the woman, this one who's coming, will give you a death blow. He will crush you, Satan. This seed of the woman will ultimately crush the head of Satan. He is a triumphant seed. And it's interesting here, he says, he. In other words, it's a specific, it's not them, it's one person, he, and it's a specific person. It's a male. It's a, uh, a man. This particular male shall bruise your head. In other words, this is a future event. And in, in the, in, in the, what's known as the, um, the Targum, uh, which basically is a paraphrase of the Old Testament that's put into the Aramaic language and the, what's known as the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Both of those attest to this fact, that this is speaking of the coming Messiah. This is speaking of the one, the Christ that's going to be born. This is speaking of God's anointed one that's going to do the crushing. Romans chapter number 16 and verse number 20 says this, The God of peace will crush Satan. Amen? I love that. The God of peace will crush Satan. Aren't you glad that Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace? <laughs> King Jesus will do it. He's a triumphant seed. A triumphant seed. There are three ways in which he triumphs over Satan. The first was at the cross. At the cross. Hold your finger here. Go with me to John chapter 12, will you? Take your Bibles. Go to John 12 with me if you would. John chapter 12, verses 31 to 33. John chapter 12, 31 through 33. This is at the end of Jesus' public ministry and literally shortly before he's going to be arrested and crucified, okay? John 12, 31. Now, Jesus is speaking here. And he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now. It's about to happen. It's time. Why? Because I'm about to be crucified. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to, the, uh, to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. What was he talking about? Crucifixion. Satan is about to be crushed. But what I'm about to do in the next 24 hours, the cross will decimate him. It's over. He's done. Aren't you glad about that? Man, I am. I am. He just whooped Satan up one side and down the other. He, Satan thought he was doing a good thing. Man, we're going to send him, we're going to kill this guy. Oh, Satan is such a fool, amen? What a fool. He had no idea what he was doing. He was triumphant over Satan at the cross. He's also triumphant over him at his second coming. His second coming. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Boy, I love this. Y'all believe Jesus is coming again? Say amen. I do. Arnold Schwarzenegger did not coin that phrase, amen? I'll be back. No, that was King Jesus. Revelation chapter 20. His head is crushed because of the second coming. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel 
coming down, this is John speaking, coming down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon. Guess who? That serpent of old, all the way back to Genesis and even before, who was the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. At the second coming, Jesus crushed him at the cross, but still allowing Satan to deceive the people. He was totally defeated at that point. But nonetheless, Satan continued to deceive the people so the people could make a choice. Am I going to choose to follow myself and follow uh, Satan and follow what I want in my world and, and, and my ambitions? Or am I going to choose to follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Am I going to choose to follow the Creator of the universe? Am I going to choose to follow the one who loves me more than myself? And then comes the second coming of Christ when Christ comes to this earth and sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. And at that point, Satan will be taken. He will be chained and he will be thrown into the bottomless pit. Amen? Defeat. Crushed. Oh, but there's one more. He's triumphant because he defeats him at the cross. He defeats him at the second coming. And in that same chapter, he defeats him at the final judgment. Verse number seven. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations one more time. Which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Think about that. They surrounded the saints. And the beloved city. <laughs> what happens next? And fire came down from God out of heaven and did what? Devoured them. Verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are they and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And the people of God said... Amen to that. Jesus is triumphant. He's got the victory. And as believers, church, guess what we have? If Jesus has victory, guess what we have? You can say it. It's all right. It's okay to talk in church. What does it say? Victory. We do. We're triumphant. Sin doesn't have to rule over you. We don't need to keep making bad decisions. We can live victoriously. Romans 8, Paul said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us so. Romans 8, 37. Yesterday, some of us, and I, I want to take a moment to mention this. Many of you already know um, that our uh, the, uh, gentleman who's our financial director here at our church and our school, uh, Dalen Mitchell, uh, Dalen's uh, sweet wife, Robin, passed away this past week. And uh, we and many of you had the privilege, and it was a privilege, to go to her funeral yesterday. Man, it was good. Uh, it, was, it was just so good. And she had been diagnosed with breast cancer five years ago, and they thought they had that taken care of, and she's been five years what they thought was in remission. And during Thanksgiving week, Dalen had asked me, Pastor, can we borrow one of the vans and take the family up to, to Atlanta to see the rest of the family? I said, sure, no problem. 
on the way, she started having some severe pains. And they got up there and they realized that things didn't look good. So they got her back down here to Tampa and through all the tests and what have you, and uh, realized that the cancer had returned and returned with a, a, a fierceness that she had not experienced before. Uh, her liver, her lungs, was just, it just, you know, and it was just a matter of days before she went home to be with the Lord. And I was so proud of Dalen and the kids who spoke yesterday. They've got eight kids. Some are grown, some are still really young. A couple of the grown kids spoke. And I was so proud of them because they spoke of how their mom, when she was diagnosed with cancer, it's one young man who's uh, uh, now at Oklahoma Baptist University, he spoke of when he was a sophomore that mom sat him down and said, I've got breast cancer. And he said, I sat there and I wept. And he said, I was mad at God. Why are you doing this to my mom? And he said, you know, my mom put her arms around me and wept with me. And she said, listen, God is good. And he's going to make good come out of this. You wait and see. And God did. In the recent findings of her cancer returning, they replayed that episode once again. Now, he's, he's a young man that's in college. He's a, I think they said he's a youth pastor. Now, he's serving as a youth pastor at a church there. And he said, I wept again. And mom was, I can't remember if she was sitting next to him or lying in the bed next to him. And she said, listen, God is good. And he will make good come out of this. Because that's his character. That's who he is. By the way, there were a few folks that got saved at that service yesterday. What did she understand? She understood that Jesus is a triumphant seed. She understood that she has victory and that she triumphs. She realized that she was more than a conqueror. Why? Because of him who loved her so. And I don't know what you're going through today. I have no idea, but God knows. In fact, you want to know something? I mean, real honestly... God knows whatever you're going through better than you know it. He knows every iota, every aspect, every molecular, whatever it is, God knows it far beyond you, and he knows what's coming. And he wants you to know, because of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is, you have victory. You are triumphant. Amen, church? He's an extraordinary seed. He's a triumphant seed. And thirdly and lastly, he is a sacrificial seed. Back in Genesis chapter number 3, he is a sacrificial seed. Back at verse number 15 again. I will put enmity, God says, between you and the woman, Satan, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. Satan, you're going to experience a death blow. My seed is triumphant, and you shall bruise his heel. What's that speaking of? The cross. Yeah, you're going to bruise his heel. Now, whenever people were crucified, they would normally put nails through their hands or their wrists, but they would also put 
they would have a, a, like a, a piece of wood that was like a prop that they could put their feet on, but they would nail, put their feet over one another, and they would put a nail through their ankles. And whenever they needed, they would be down like this. Whenever they needed to rise up to catch a breath, they could put pressure on that little ledge that was there on the cross and then drop down again. But God knew back in Genesis 3.15, and Satan knew back in Genesis 3.15, Satan, you're done. And yeah, you're going to bruise the heel, just like when Jesus was on the cross and that nail went through his heel and attached him to the cross. Yes, you're going to bruise his heel. Oh, but it's not a death blow. You're just going to bruise his heel. He's going to sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. This seed will have his heel bruised. This seed will die on a cross for my sins and yours. This seed would thousands of years later in the future go to the cross, experience the humiliation, experience the shame, experience the ripping out of the beard, experience the blindfold of being slapped and, and, and Roman guards saying, come on, if you're the son of God, tell us who hit you. Come on. The humiliation of being up on the cross and the religious elite, the holier than thou is walking by saying, if you're really the son of God, come on off of that cross. Let's go. If you really say, if you really are who you say you are, come on down. Instead, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea that I am the extraordinary seed. They have no idea that I am the triumphant one. They have no idea that I'm sacrificing my life for them at this very moment because of their sins. I think it's interesting in Isaiah chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 53, verse number 5 and verse number 10. Let me read that to you. But he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him, and by his stripes we are healed. Yet it pleased the Lord, it pleased Yahweh to bruise him, to crush him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. You know who the seed of the Lord is? You know whose days are prolonged because of what King Jesus did? Look around you. It's us. Because God in all his holiness and all his wrath, would you agree with me? We could be wiped out this very split second, amen? Because we're a pretty pitiful lot, amen? <laughs> pretty wicked people. But because of what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, there was this seed that was going to come, Genesis 3:15, And he was going to do something that was going to prolong our days. And that seed was going to prosper because of our faith in Christ. He is a sacrificial seed. Oh, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I must encourage you today. I must plead with you. You need to understand that there's only one way to heaven. And it's because of the seed of the woman back in Genesis 3.15 who was born in Bethlehem several thousand years later. 
who lived a life and grew up in Nazareth, and then uh, he was a, lived a sinless life, grew up in Nazareth, and then for three years, he led this, this plot of 12 guys that were just nobodies. And he healed, and he walked on water, and he provided food, and he raised the dead, and he did everything. You would you just go, oh. And he did this to prove and to show, I am the Son of God. And ultimately, he shows that by sacrificing himself and having his heel bruised. This is the one who cries out to you. This is the one who died for you. This is the one who not only died, he rose from the dead. He died so that your sins might be uh, uh, forgiven and put under the blood of Christ not to be remembered against you no more. But not only that, he's given you new life in Christ. A life where your sins are forgiven. A life in heaven. A life of joy. A, a, a life of blessing. A life of, of, of a relationship with God that you could never have apart from Jesus Christ. It's only because of Jesus. He is the sacrificial seed. There was a man that went out with his wife and they got caught in a, just a really bad hailstorm. This was a massive hailstorm. The hail was as large as baseballs and they were just coming down like crazy and he didn't know what to do they had a ways to walk to they got to their uh, vehicle and then his wife he knew his wife would be severely hurt and and uh, in doing so he he took off his coat and he put it over here and tried to her and tried to put himself over over her so they that she wouldn't be harmed the hailstones just continued to come down seemed to be getting bigger and coming down more vigorously and he he bent over her trying to protect her these large hailstones uh, came down harder and harder onto the man and hurt him badly. And after a minute or so, finally he just, there was coming down so, so uh, uh, vigorously that he collapsed on the ground and, and just and held his coat over his wife and put himself over her and just put his body over her so that she would not be harmed. He had tried to lead her to safety, but he couldn't. And he got so weak that he just collapsed. When the storm was over, the man was left with scars and bruises and cuts where the, the hailstones had just, just, just pelted him and battered away at his body. The remnants of the sores and the cuts and the abrasions would forever be reminders to him of the day that he saved his wife. It's a true story. On the local newscast, the man's wife was asked how she felt about her experience. She said, every time I look at the scars on his head, on his neck, on his ear. I love him even more than I ever have before. Every time I see the scar, I love him more because he sacrificed himself for me. You know, when we get to heaven one day, there's only going to be one person there with scars. There's only going to be one person there who's going to have the nail prints in his hands and in his heel, in his feet. It's going to be the sacrificial seed going to be King Jesus. He loves you. Amen. Oh, what he's done for us all, for, for everyone. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I implore you, would you call on him today to come in your life and save you? The seed of the woman. Whew. Thank God for King Jesus. Let's pray together this morning as we close. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, this morning, I don't know where you are spiritually. Only you know and God knows. You know whether you know Christ is Savior or not. You know right now 
whether you're going to heaven or not. There's no middle ground. There's not, it can't be I think so, hope so, maybe so, we'll see so. It's either yes I am or no I'm not. I made this decision for Christ back when I was 12 years old. I called on God to save me. I believed on what Jesus did for me and I realized he was the only one who could forgive my sins and, and take me to heaven. And today I'm here to tell you that this extraordinary seed, this triumphant seed, this sacrificial seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was spoken of in Genesis 3.15 and came on the scene several thousand years later, he is the one that can take you to heaven. He is your answer for salvation. He is the one who can give you a relationship with the Father. And it's because of his death on the cross you're in here today and you're not sure that if you die today you're going to heaven well I got great news for you you can settle that right now the Bible says that if we uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead we shall be saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved would you call on him right now right now just in the quietness of this moment we just say dear God I'm not quite sure how to do this, but God, I call upon you now to come into my life and save me. God, I can't get to heaven on my own. I'm sinful. God, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead for me. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. And today, Lord, my prayer is that I will turn from myself and I'll turn from my sin. And God, I want to turn to you. I want to give my life to you. Please come into my life. Forgive me and save me. You know, if you just prayed that, I've got great news for you. If you truly meant it from your heart, God, the Holy Spirit, entered into your life. And you are born again. You are saved. Believers, we can live in victory. Amen? We can. We have a triumphant Savior. We can live victoriously in our daily life. We can make time to spend time with God. We can serve the Lord in every aspect of our lives, at school, in our jobs, at the store. We can serve the Lord. Why? Because we are victorious. Whatever's going on in our life, there's deliverance there. It may not be the deliverance as you see deliverance, but God says there is victory. There is uh, a triumph there. There is deliverance because you're a child of God. Leave it to him. Father, bless this invitation time. We love you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.